probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to The Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from harperwharris.com, and joining me again today is... James Stacy, or am I? (laughs) (laughs) So today we are talking about minute 18 of The Thing, which uh, begins with Copper and McCready entering the Norwegian camp and ends with... uh, them bursting through a door after just discovering a bloody axe that's uh, jammed into the door. This is definitely the beginning of this very kind of haunted house section of the movie, I think, which is really cool. This this section, I think, really stands apart from the rest of the movie in, in a lot of ways and just, just has a very different kind of look. So we, we begin with uh, following that same shot, which is pretty cool. This is another kind of classic movie making thing that uh, Carpenter does a lot in this movie, which is instead of just cutting to something different, he, he tries to, you know, I guess save film and, and make it a much more interesting shot to have things kind of follow along in one shot and change. He changes from this, you know, shot looking through the window of them kind of farther away, getting out of the helicopter and then just tilts the camera to the right and then, you know, follows them as they walk in and walk towards the camera. So it's two very different shots, but I love that he keeps that all rolling in one shot, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's great how little he shows at a time, too. Like, first get to the camp, all he sees is just a pillar of black smoke, some husks and stuff. You don't really, you get the sense that something bad happened, but as those shots, like, from inside pan over and you see holes in the walls and you can see that, the outside has become the inside as there's snow coming in and it just creates more sense of something really bad happened here all leading up to that just quick flashlight reveal of the axe on the wall which they definitely saw before we saw as they're walking towards it and then when we get to see it it's all the it's that sudden red in the midst of all these black and whites and just stark dark colors yeah i think that's that's probably my favorite thing in this minute is um exactly what you mentioned that the way that the the axe is revealed just through basically lighting the fact that Mm -hmm. you know it's it's actually been on camera it's just so dark that we can't even see it at, at this point and so the fact that it's we're backing up past it and then it's suddenly revealed that you know, just the fact that we have already, you know, in, if we're in the place of the camera, we would have walked right into the axe. It's a, it's kind of a subtle, scary thing that all of a sudden it's there and you don't even realize you walked right next to it. It's such a great reveal just to use the flashlight to do that rather than, you know, I think in, in most movies that would have been a, a, a jump scare cut moment to cut to that. And uh, it's it's a really smart move on, on Carpenter and on um, the cinematographer Dean Cundy on his part. This whole sequence is just really masterfully done. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it would have been either a jump scare moment or just like a simple rack focus. We see them in the background and then just a blurry axe in the foreground, and we would have just gotten to it that way in one shot. But this way is just so much better suspense-wise. Yeah, it just it really builds it 
uh, to, to a much scarier kind of place than it would otherwise. I think this part is interesting too, and in that this is where you get a really nice and really clever cut between the kind of on location stuff, which that, that first shot looking out at the helicopter and then walking towards the camera uh, down the hallway, that's all, you know, on the actual burned set um, up in uh, British Columbia. And then when they cut and we see them come around the corner at that point, then we're actually on the soundstage, but it's, you know, it's very, obviously they did a great job with the soundstage to, to build that set and create it in a way that it, you know, I would have never noticed that not, not knowing that. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty cool, I, and I love I just love the way it, all the stuff on the stage looks, the way the ice and the the snow on the ground looks. It's it's got a very it it almost looks fake, but in a way that's very believable, like it's been there for a while kind of thing. Like they don't make everything very like wet. It's all very kind of a, this like dry, icy thing. Like you kind of get a sense of just how cold it is too, and that you know no, nothing's melting. It's just pure snow and ice that's been there for a while, which is kind of cool. Yeah, nature's definitely reclaiming it really quickly because this is what uh, it's supposed to be a day later, a day and a half. Yeah, I mean, ba- basing it on the uh, um, you know what what happens in the prequel. Yeah, I think this is e- e- either a day or even less than a day. But um, you know, I guess over the course of of what happened at the Norwegian camp, these holes and stuff started building up, and then of course the fire that kind of ends up destroying what's left. You know, there's all kinds of snow and stuff that's made its way inside. But yeah, in this movie, it definitely looks even longer than that. It looks like it's been there for. Aside from, I guess you know, the bloody axe doesn't necessarily look old, but the the way the camp has been kind of weathered and all the icicles and stuff definitely gives it a sense of, you know, this has happened happened quickly but but happened a long time ago maybe Mm. i think it still kind of works just with like how stuff out in the desert and the snow operates that Mm -hmm. with the wind and everything but stuff can get buried in in hours if not minutes and i think they talk about how bad they have to like dig themselves out and when the snow storms that hits them makes it near impossible to do anything so um even though it's like a day later i think it still it still works you could see like it got hit by another storm and everything just got like instant froze like day after tomorrow yeah yeah that's true and i mean you know obviously this is antarctica so and it's um i think they mentioned uh, in a, a few minutes ago that it was the first day of winter so it's definitely starting to get much colder even for antarctica so i think these things do happen very very quickly and i think even in real life where they filmed it that you know, they had that happen where the, the the set would constantly get covered in snow and they'd have to back it. You know, they wanted it to look realistic, but they'd have to back it off a little bit just for the guys to be able to even make their way, you know, out, out the doors and stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we when they when they first burst in the door, we get uh, kind of a funny line to, to break some of the tension with uh, McCready's. Uh, hey, Sweden. <laughs> and just this uh, the whole the whole gag that he keeps calling them Swedes instead of Norwegians is is pretty funny. It's it's definitely a goofy thing, and it's it's funny to think that in the script it's even they do it even more. Like he continues to do it throughout this whole sequence, and the doctor keeps getting mad at him. But uh, I think it's a nice kind of character moment because you don't know whether he's just kind of uh, you know whether he's just a goofball or whether he's just kind of making a joke or whether he's trying to, you know, get on Copper's nerves because he's mad that he had to fly out here. <laughs> but yeah, I love that line. I think to me it's it's a lot to his setup of his character of not being 
the smartest guy in the room, but he's also not an idiot. Like, I mean, he comes up with the whole blood test, so he's more... He's got a lot of common sense, which a lot of these scientists at the base don't. And um, it definitely sets him up to be that character that we can attach to and we can um, want to solve the mystery with and want to survive as he's just kind of like that everyday man. He doesn't know the difference between a Norwegian and a Swede. (laughs) And it's a funny moment. So I think it sets up a lot for Mac as a person, kind of like the the chess scene where he just gets... He, he's smart enough to play chess, but he's not smart enough to win or to know that dumping his coffee onto the computer is going to let him ever get to play again. <laughs> so it sets him up as like this perfect person that everybody can be cool with. He's not the super, uh, super smart guy who knows all the scientific facts. He's not the, uh, the girl who can do everything kind of character. He's, he's, he's McCready. He can fly a helicopter. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think the, it, it does add to that kind of every man personality that he has where, you know, a lot of the other characters are, you know, like Nalls is almost pure comic relief. Like um, in a lot of scenes, he's the one who kind of breaks the tension. And then, you know, somebody like Blair is like very serious throughout the whole, pretty much the whole movie. But McCready is a very kind of more, he's a little bit more well-rounded where he is, he can be kind of goofy. He can also be very kind of serious, you know, just a few minutes back when he's talking about, how he doesn't want to fly out and he's trying to explain to them why it's a not a great idea for them to go and, and risk the life of one of the doctors and one of the pilots. And and obviously as the movie goes on, he becomes the the one who kind of takes charge because, you know, he just doesn't put up with, with the bullshit that's going around and is ready to kind of figure it out and, and he knows somebody's gotta do it, so might as well be him kind of thing. So yeah, he does kind of have that that personality and, you know, these kind of silly lines that uh you know, he gets to say here at the beginning are um, definitely kind of add to that, that bit of character for him. Mm-hmm, for sure. So I think it's worth noting. There's a couple, this whole sequence, there's a couple of things that are in the script that, uh, that never made it to the movie. Some of them got filmed and some of them did not, but I think it's somewhere around this moment where there's a, a part that I don't think they even filmed. That's kind of interesting where as they're, the whole part in the script of this, actually, the building is really kind of, it's literally still smoldering. Like there's still parts that are on fire and, you know, they're they're a little more wary as they walk around that, you know, the roof could fall down on them at any moment. But there's a lot of like little kind of jump scare moments that are not in this, in the actual movie. And one of them here is that a, a magazine falls falls down from the ceiling or falls from above a door or something and, and hits copper and scares him and he falls down and then McCready picks it up and it's like a, it's like a dirty magazine and, uh, and McCready calls it the Norwegian of the month. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, uh, it says, I, I love the way it says it in the, in the script because it describes perfectly McCready's personality and what he would do. He, uh, he picks it up and puts, he pockets it for later viewing, <laughs> which is pretty great. But yeah, another one of those moments where, you know, he just kind of lightens the mood a little bit with the, the whole Norwegian of the month thing, which I thought was a pretty funny line. Uh, you know, I think the I think the Hey Sweden is probably enough comic relief for the scene in the end. But, uh, you know, that I thought that was a, alternatively, that would have been a good uh, a good moment to kind of build build the character a little bit. I thought that yeah. was funny. The only thing I had uh, had written down about this scene is, you know, about halfway through it, they they take their goggles off. But in that first scene when they're walking down the hallway, I, I'm watching it this closely. I'm thinking, how are these guys seeing anything? <laughs> it's so dark in there, and, and they're both wearing these, you know, super dark 
uh, glasses and goggles. And, uh, you know, the doctor even looks like he might be wearing like a, some kind of VR uh, goggles or something. They're just so, yeah. so big and thick. It's like, I'm wondering if on set, these guys were like walking right into, into stuff. Cause I couldn't see where they were going. <laughs> uh, I bet I wouldn't be surprised. And then Matt just walking down with his hat as we talked about during the last minute. Right. Just perfect. Perfect. Yeah. You just see that silhouette is kind of, kind of awesome. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that, that's a good point to mention, um, you know, about how dark it is too, that this, this whole sequence does a really good job of, um, providing a lot of contrast. Um, I, I watched the the movie with um, Dean Cundy's commentary, and he talked about how he was especially proud of, of this sequence because um, they worked really hard to give a sense of contrast in that there's there are these kind of bright lights pouring through these holes and, and things like that, but otherwise it's very, very darkly lit. So there's a lot of, you know, the darkest spots are pure black and the, the brightest spots are this pure white, this light or the snow coming from outside. Um, so you, you know, in a lot of cases, you don't see the actors faces almost at all. You're just seeing their kind of silhouettes and it, it really kind of makes for a, a scary scene. Yeah. It's just more of that great atmosphere building. It's not some big star that they have to have their face lit during the whole shot. It's, you know, who these characters are because Max got his hat on and, uh, Doc's got his goggles. And so you just need to see their silhouettes to know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's a credit to, to, you know, the wardrobe folks as well in the movie and that they, they were able to kind of, they, you know, probably knew that this scene was going to be something that's very dark and, and involve a lot of silhouettes. So they make sure that the characters have kind of very well-defined looks just from, from that perspective so that you can tell these guys apart and tell what you're looking at, which is pretty pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, just another case of, you know, everybody working in in symphony on the movie to to make everything come together in a way that works really really well so you know just another another awesome thing about this movie <laughs> yeah all those little pieces that just worked out perfectly yeah so i think we'll save we'll save talk for the uh, about the prequel for uh for the next minute but i wanted to ask for this one um what uh outside of the thing what do you think are your favorite and least favorite uh john carpenter movies what, what are the ones you like you know, I was uh, looking to see if I'd actually ever seen any other John Carpenter movies, and I haven't. Really? I've only seen uh, The Thing. I think I've seen, oh, wait, I have seen Big Trouble in Little China, and I've had Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. on my must-watch list for forever, and I just haven't gotten to it. I think I've seen part of They Live. I've seen parts of They Live can't remember if I've seen the original Christine or not. I know I've watched, I've read the book. I feel like I've seen it, but then I'm not 100% sure on it. It's something that I maybe watched a long ass time ago. And unfortunately, I think the only version of The Fog I've seen was the remake. Who's in that one? No, wait, I have seen. Okay, I've seen The Fog. I've seen Big Trouble in Little China, and I've seen The Thing. Wow, no so kidding. I've only seen three out of his uh, many, many movies. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised. You've never seen uh, Halloween? I have not. Wow. Yeah, I, I, think, I need to. I think we need to play in a movie night, man. <laughs> For sure. I mean, there's lots of John Carpenter movies that are just regarded as being fantastic, and yet somehow I haven't seen it. Yeah, certainly. Um, so, so out of the three I've seen, I would say The Thing is probably my favorite Honestly, I don't know if I want to admit this in public, but I wasn't that blown away by Big Trouble in Little China. Mm. I, I don't know. I don't know if I went to into a, the wrong mode of viewing it or, or what. I just I didn't think it was that 
Like, I wasn't that blown away by it. It was, I love Kurt Russell. Like, he's just fantastic. If you've never seen something like Sky High, he's just the the best in that movie. It's the <laughs> ultimate cheese. Yeah. And then he was great in uh, Guardians Volume 2 as well, just most recently. Um, but I don't know. It's just like Big Trouble in Little China didn't really like, didn't really speak to me, I guess. It wasn't the movie I thought going into it. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's his he's got a lot of movies. He's obviously most famous for doing horror stuff, but um, you know, Big Trouble in Little China has definitely got a very different kind of feel than uh, than than something like The Thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, man, we definitely should uh, we need to get together and have a have a John Carpenter night and watch watch some of this stuff. I think if you like The Thing, you would definitely um, really enjoy uh, Halloween and um, and I think probably They Live as well as is. is Pretty excellent. And, uh, you know, of course, the other um, he's got two other movies that kind of form a loose trilogy. He calls his apocalypse trilogy with the thing being uh, Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. So those um, have have some things in common with this movie, Uh, in particular, Prince of Darkness, I think, is really, really good. So, um, yeah, yeah, check those out, man. I think if I saw Ghost of Mars, I would probably replace uh big trouble in little china is my least favorite <laughs> yeah that's uh that's one that i i think i i saw a long long time ago and i remember like nothing about so i don't even know if i count it as as a carpenter movie i've seen but it's certainly one of his less regarded uh less regarded movies i remember back when sci-fi channel wasn't just syfy and they they showed it a lot and i remember seeing a lot of commercials for it and it's like this just looks awful <laughs> Yeah. But I could be wrong. They could have just been uh, showing like the worst shots in the whole movie. And it could just be like a funny little thing. Who knows? Yeah. I don't want to badmouth it too much, but it's got Ice Cube in it. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd certainly think it's one of the ones that uh, that gets, um, you know, that was towards the end of, of his uh, filmmaking career. He does. He's not made a movie in, in quite a while, and that was one of the last ones that and uh, did not get uh, get great reviews. Was not even among his fans. I don't think it's one that uh, that gets brought up very often. Yeah. So I think that will probably wrap us up for uh, for minute eighteen. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to bring up about uh, about these guys entering the camp? No, I don't think so. It's a it's a great little minute. It's, it sets up the the tension for, like you said, it's a it's a haunted house type scene for sure yeah and it only gets uh only gets creepier from here so cool so i think that'll wrap up the minute for today so make sure you go and check us out on itunes facebook the website all that good stuff and we'll be back tomorrow for another episode of the thing minute thanks for listening if you enjoyed the show please go to thethingminute.com there you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on the thing you can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. <laughs> <laughs>